We're going to take a, a break. We're going to depart from our study in Isaiah, and it may be we depart from it forever. I'm not sure yet. Uh, but we're going to be in the Psalms for at least the next several weeks. One of Really, one of my goals in life before I die is to preach through all the Psalms. Um, in 2020, we started a series in the Psalms, and we made it all the way to Psalm 12, and we stopped. Uh, so we're picking up here in Psalm 13. Probably move on to 14 next week, and who knows, we may continue till we reach Psalm 150. Uh, don't know for sure yet. But we're going to start tonight where we are in a psalm that's really fitting for what's been going on lately. And it's about a topic we may not have thought much about when it comes to how we pray and the things that we do in our interactions with our Lord. The title and the topic of what we're talking about tonight is Lamenting. Now, the omniscient Google defines a lament as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And that's a, an accurate definition of a lament. It is not a, a Christian definition of lament. It doesn't express what lament means or, or should mean to us as disciples of Jesus. While a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow... It is more. Right? Screaming could be a passionate expression of grief or emotion, but screaming alone would not be lamenting. Sobbing could be a passionate expression of grief, but, but sobbing alone would not be lamenting. Anger or indignation could be a passionate expression of grief, but, but anger and indignation alone would not be lamenting. Now, there are many ways to, to passionately express our grief or emotions but none of those alone is what it means to lament. In many ways, lamenting is a uniquely Christian expression of grief. And God's word is filled with examples of God's people lamenting. Around one third of the book of Psalms are laments. There is one entire book dedicated to the topic of lamenting written by a prophet after the destruction of Jerusalem, called, strangely enough, Lamentations, Lamenting. In every biblical example, you find people passionately expressing their grief, but they're also, they're doing more than crying. They're doing more than screaming. They're doing more than being angry. They're doing more than even being sad. They're doing those things, but they're also crying out to God for help. Lamenting is a prayer. It is a cry to God for help in our deep grief, in our deep confusion, maybe even in our deep anger. Lamenting will help us vent our emotions, but it doesn't do it in a general way. Lamenting helps us vent our emotions as we talk to God about our pain, or we talk to God about our sorrow, or we talk to God about what's going on, our problems in life. Lamenting is God's idea, and it is His invitation to come to Him, to pour out our pain, to pour out our fears, to pour out our frustration, to pour out our sorrow, to pour out even our doubts. With the purpose of renewing our confidence in God and strengthening our relationship with Him. Now, I can't speak for you, but I 
need to know how to lament. Because there are times where I go through deep discouragement. Where I don't understand why God does the things that He does. Or why God doesn't do the things that that I think He ought to do. Or why God allows the things to happen that He does allow. And the discouragement and the confusion can lead to doubts and despair if I don't deal with them. And lamenting gives me a healthy, biblical, which is most important, way to deal with these times. Now, again, I can't speak for you, but I doubt I'm the only one in here who goes through periods of time where they need a healthy, biblical way to deal with what one author called the dark nights of the soul. If we have pain, if we have a problem, if we have passionate grief or sorrow, if these feelings leave us discouraged or confused, if they leave us feeling with doubts and despair, then we need to learn to lament. And what we're going to talk about tonight will help. If you haven't already, open your Bible to Psalm 13. should be on page 419 in your pew Bible. When you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Psalm 13, verse 1. David says, How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has looked after me. The title of the message tonight is Learning to Lament. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our devotion. We are thankful. As the song said, your mercy is more. We are thankful you are our God in the midst of sorrow and grief, anger and doubt. We are thankful, Lord, for psalms like Psalm 13 that show us How to deal with these feelings that we all wrestle with from time to time. Father, in these times we feel alone and we feel isolated. And we know that's the enemy's desire. If he can isolate us away from our brothers and sisters in Christ, he can win a great victory. But more importantly, if he can isolate us away from you, he can win an even greater victory. So, Father, let us learn the lesson of Psalm 13 well. And let us be a people who in our doubts and in our confusions and in our sorrow passionately express our grief to you. When the need is there, lead us to lament. And let this lament lead us closer to you. Fill me tonight with your Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Let me speak your words and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now clearly, David is in a bad place in his life. 
He feels abandoned, but but it's not he's abandoned by people, though he may feel that too. But mostly what David's expressing is he feels abandoned by God. Can you imagine the depths of David's despair and discouragement at this point in his life? You can you can read the confusion that he seems to feel in this. Can you imagine the the potential for doubts and despair David must feel in this time? God's chosen king, a man after God's own heart. Yet he feels abandoned by the God who chose him and the God who made him king. I'm convinced feeling abandoned by God, as David expresses here, is far more common among disciples of Jesus than we might like to think. Maybe not more than we would like to think, but maybe more than we believe is true. I can imagine scenarios and circumstances where deeply devoted disciples of Jesus go through terrible circumstances. And they can't see why these things are happening. They can't understand why their prayers for God to change things aren't changing things. And they begin to feel abandoned by God. Why isn't God helping? Why is everything getting worse despite my prayers? Why is nothing getting better? Why, God, why? And in those times, there is a temptation to turn away from God in anger. To turn away from God in disappointment. To turn away from God in absolute, abject despair. This is where lamenting comes in. Lamenting gives us a way to take these feelings to God. And rather than letting them turn us from God, push us closer to God. Rather than sitting in discouragement or doubts or despair or confusion, we can take our laments and we run to God. And really the key thing to understand about a lament. Lamenting turns us to God when sorrow would turn us from God. Lamenting turns us to God. I'm sorry. Lamenting turns us to God when sorrow would turn us from God. Now there are in this psalm, and really I think in all all of the laments we could look at, there are four elements that I believe are all essential in a lament. The first is go to God. This going to God is the key difference between a lament and general sorrow. Or lamenting and whining. Or or lamenting and just screaming into the void. The the key difference between lamenting and anything else, other way we deal with our, our griefs and our sorrows and our feelings is that we take these things to God. For me, going to Kelly is good. She's wise. She has good advice, but it's not lamenting. And as good as she is, Kelly's not God and she can't help in quite the ways he can. Shouting in anger to no one in particular is cathartic, at least to me. But it's not lamenting. It doesn't take me to God. It doesn't help in the ways that going to God does. Lamenting requires us to go to God. We must 
take our pain, our hurts, our confusion, our doubts, our despair, our everything to God. And that's what we see in this psalm. Notice verses 1 and 2. How long, Lord? How long will you? How long am I to feel this? How long will my enemy? David is, is talking to God about this. Right? We're reading it because he's writing it in his prayer journal. But David's not talking to us, not, not firstly. He's not talking to Bathsheba. He's not telling Joab. He's not talking to Solomon. He is, he is going to God and, and laying things out before him. And going to God is what makes a lament a lament. And not merely a passionate expression of grief. Now I'm confident we've all felt like David feels here. We've all experienced hardships and pains and sorrows. It's just it's a part of the human condition. There is no way to get through life unhurt and without experiencing these things. It's not a question. The question is, what do we do when the hardship, the pain, the sorrow comes? Specifically, though, what do we do when those things are too much to bear? Do we bury those feelings? Do we whine about our feelings? Do we get mad at the world over these feelings? Do we bottle up these feelings until one day we explode in anger and rage at whoever just happens to be the unlucky soul that tipped the point? Do we just, and I hope you'll excuse the way I word this, but it's the only way I can think of, do we just emotionally vomit on everybody in our life about our feelings? Or do we do the one thing that can truly help us? Do we go to God? Lamenting turns us to God when sorrow would tempt us to turn from God. But for it to do this, we must go to God. Secondly, a lament we go to God. And when we go to God, we pour out our complaints to God. Laments exist because there is a complaint. Things are not as we think they ought to be. Things have not worked out the way we think they should have worked out. Lamenting is more than rehearsing the issue or venting anger and frustration. Lamenting honestly identifies the pain, the question, the anger, the frustration, and the doubts raging in our soul. And it not only identifies them, it pours them out to God. We, we see this in David's lament. There is, there is a a sort of a sort of brutal honesty in here. Look at these verses one and two. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long am I to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? I mean, can't you almost hear the despair in David's voice as he asked repeatedly, How long? The repetition of how long 
shows that this wasn't a recent thing. This is something that has gone on for a long period of time. David has struggled. David has tried to overcome it. David has tried to to patiently endure it, but it's not getting any better. And he wonders, how long will it go on? Is it going to go on forever until he dies? And what's even more gut-wrenching is David's view. Because notice the wording. How long, Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? But David, his, from his perspective, God is intentionally ignoring him. David does not believe God is not aware of what's going on in his life. He knows God is, but from his perspective, God ignores him. God is turning his face away. God is choosing to ignore David's plight. It's a heart-wrenching place to be to feel that way about your God. But he does. But not only is it heart-wrenching, it is brutally Honest. I mean, the kind of honesty to go to God and say, God, you have just, why are you turning your face from me? Why are you ignoring my prayers? How long, Lord, look at verse 2. How long do I have to feel anxious in my soul with grief in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The picture there, anxious in his soul, constantly afraid because his enemies are coming against him. Grief that God is not helping him all the day. So he woke up with grief as his immediate companion and he went to bed cuddling his grief at night. And his enemy is winning against him. And his question, how long? This kind of lamenting prayer can seem overly bold, might even seem a bit presumptuous on our part. I don't know how you were raised, but I was raised you did not do this. I was taught you don't take your complaints to God. You stoically suck them up and you deal with them on your own. You might talk to another person about them. But you're careful not to phrase it in a way where it looks like you're blaming God for your problems. Even if that's how you feel. You're careful not to phrase it in a way where you feel like God has abandoned you or let you down. Even if that's how you feel. And while you may take those complaints to a person, you most certainly never take them to God. That bordered on being blasphemy. I wonder was anyone else taught this or given this impression growing up because it's certainly the way I was led to believe. And the problem with this view, while it sounds reverential, oh no, we just patiently endure under God. No, we just trust God too much to ever pour out our complaints to Him. Oh no, God is too glorious. We could never talk to God in that way. Sounds right. The only problem with that is God's word. And God's word is filled with examples 
of the people of God lamenting and pouring out their complaints to God. In brutal honesty, just like we see here. Time wouldn't permit us to look at them all, but the list of lamenters include Job, Moses, Abraham, Asaph, Jeremiah. Those are important people, right? I mean, those are those are somewhat when it comes to, to people in God's word. But even even the biggest somewhat in God's word lamented. Our Lord on the cross cried out from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is a lament. That is the lamenting Psalm 22. Our Lord lamented on the cross and poured out that complaint about feeling forsaken. Not only is God's word filled with examples of people who lamented. But God's word teaches us. God is omniscient. And what this means for us in regarding a lament is God already knows that's how we feel. Do we feel like David in our life? God is aware of that. If we take to him and pour out our complaint, he's not going to be caught off guard. He's not going to be surprised. He won't be shocked. He won't even be offended. How do I know that God won't be offended? How do I know that God doesn't get angry if we go to Him in this way? Because this psalm and others exist. In brutal honesty, David pours out his complaints to God. In brutal honesty, he expresses that he feels like his God has forgotten him and forsaken him. And yet the psalm does not end with verse 3 saying, When David completed his prayer, the Lord smote him until he died. Neither does any of the other psalms of lament. In times when we are overwhelmed, discouraged because we don't understand why God does what he does. Why God doesn't do what he doesn't do or why God allows what he allows. Discouragement, confusion, leading to doubts and despair will try to creep into our lives. And if we do not find a way to deal with them in a righteous manner like a lament, they will overwhelm us. They will destroy our soul. They will test our faith. They will harm us spiritually in a way it does not need to happen because God has given us a way to deal with them. Holding those things in does not help. It only makes it worse. It builds a barrier between you and your God. Pouring out your complaints to others may make you feel better in the moment, but it does not connect you to your God. Pouring out your complaints to God will help. And in many ways, our willingness to lament is a test of our theology. Do we really believe God hears and answers our prayers? Do we really believe it when God's word says we're to cast all of our cares upon him? For he cares for us. Are not the doubts, the pain, the hurt, are those the cares? Do we really believe it when God's word invites us to come to the throne of grace where we're promised to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need? In those doubts, in that pain, don't we need the mercy and grace of God? Sure, we do. 
If we really believe what we say we believe, lamenting is a natural thing to do. And we need to let what we say we believe and our relationship with God that we have lead us to lament and pour out our complaints to God. This will not turn us from God. Lamenting turns us to God. When sorrow would turn us from God. But it will not happen if we do not pour out our complaints to God. Thirdly, we go to God, we pour out our complaints to God, but then we boldly ask for God's help. Pouring out his complaints, David begins to ask God for help. His prayer, in many ways, is raw. It's as raw as his complaints. It's bold. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I'll sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. David basically thinks this may kill him. Now, I don't know. We don't know the content, the background of the psalm exactly. So we're not sure exactly how he will. He thinks he will die from it. Does he think his enemy will physically kill him? Possibly. But given the, the deep grief and the emotions he's feeling, it's also possible. His feeling is, I just can't take much more of this. I think grief Sorrow, despair, all of this. I think it may kill me, God, if you don't come. And then the enemy will rejoice, the enemy, when he is shaken. right? And this is why I think he might not be talking about physically dying. I think, Or physically dying by, by the sword. But his adversaries will rejoice when he's shaken. I mean, David was the man after God's own heart. He was chosen by God to be king. Can't you see the enemies of David and the enemies of God rejoicing that God's chosen king loses his faith? Abandons his God because he feels his God has abandoned him? It's possible. It's what he's thinking there. Pouring out our complaints to God, it opens up the communication lines. And it's important for us to pour out our complaints to God. But it can't stop there. What help do we need? What do we need God to do in light of our current circumstances? How do we need God's help in this moment? God's word invites us to pray this way. Familiar passage, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, pleading, thanksgiving, to request be made known to God. The peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There are four different words used to describe prayer in this verse. First is just the word prayer. Prayer, it, it pictures, well, prayer and pleading uh, are very similar. Uh, it just pictures the regular times of prayer that we have. Right? Prayer speaks of the, the regular times of, of prayer that we have. So, I get up in the morning and I pray. That's in everything by prayer. Then pleading. Pleading is different than prayer. And it's even different than request. Although it is prayer and it includes request. Pleading is in a time like this. 
where we are pouring out our souls to God over an intense burden, over a, a dark or a, a large need in our lives. Requests are probably what we might call the regular times of intercession where we just pray for others, people we have that we pray for on the regular. And then thanksgiving. Thank God for the things that He has already done in our lives. And we learn several truths about prayer from this. One, prayer should be just a regular part of our lives. There will always be times and circumstances that catch us off guard and there's nothing we can do about that. Those things drive us to our needs and that is a right response. But unexpected circumstances that make us feel kicked in the gut should not be the only time we're driven to our knees in prayer. Prayer should be a regular part of our lives. We also learn there are times when we must pour out our hearts to God over whatever burden is going on in our lives at that moment. The honesty of pouring out our complaints to God must carry over into our prayer of asking God for help. And then we must always remember what God has done for us in the past. There is one one of the many dangers, I guess, of these times that come into our life is that we become so overwhelmed by the current circumstances. We face so many problems and we're so hurt and discouraged by what's going on now. We forget what God has done for us in the past. And we have to fight against that. We have to fight for gratitude. We have to fight to be thankful for the ways God has helped us in the past. And we'll talk about this in a, in a bit. But one of the reasons for that is remembering what God has done in the past. It boosts our hope for the future. All we look at are the bad circumstances of now. And we can't see any way forward. We will despair. But if we start to remind ourselves of what God has done in the past. The times He has come through. That, that boosts us. That boasts us. That helps us a little bit. And one last quick thing, this kind of prayer, this kind of prayer, while this is only six verses and that's only two verses, what it's describing are not really quick prayer. Lament, pleading, it's hard work. It's not the dear Lord, I have a problem, take care of this, amen kind of prayer. It's more like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying for an hour. Leaving and going back and praying for another hour. And leaving and going back and praying for another hour. Until he stands up and says, I'm ready. It's what the old preachers would call praying through. And praying through is praying until sure we're sure we've broken through. We've reached the throne of God. And we know that because at that point, that's when the peace of God comes and floods our hearts. Praying through. Lamenting and pleading. It requires us to pray until we pray through. And to pray through, you have to take as much time as you need. I, I can't tell you how much time it takes. It may be 15 minutes. And it may be three hours like Jesus. I don't know. It's just you take as much time as you need. You get away from everything and everyone else. You turn off the TV. You silence your phone. 
and you pray and you go to God and you pour out your complaints to God and you plead with God until that peace which passes all understanding, comprehension will guard comes and, and guards your hearts. There is one thing we cannot do in a lament. It is we cannot put God on our schedule. Cannot say, God, I've got 20 minutes to give you. I'm going to lament. Give me peace in 20 minutes. It doesn't work that way. We have to give God all the time it needs to pray through. Lamenting. It turns us to God when sorrow would turn us from God. And as we turn to God, we must boldly ask God for help. And then the final thing, this is where lamenting is, is trying to lead us. We go to God. We pour out our complaints to God. We boldly ask for help from God. And then lastly, we trust the character of God. These last two verses, David's his tone completely changes. He's gone from despairing to pouring out to complaints to rejoicing. Look at verse 5. But I've trusted in your faithfulness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has looked after me. I have trusted in your faithfulness. This is the key to what changed David's attitude in this. David remembered God's faithfulness. God had been faithful to David in the past. Because God does not change, he could be sure God would be faithful to him to the present. And even in the future, even if he could not see any way that God was going to save him, he knew God would come and God would save him. God had saved him in the past and he would save him again because this is who God is. This is what God does. And so the psalm ends with him singing praises. Because of how good God is and how good God has been. But what we cannot miss is that though the psalm ends on this high note, his circumstances have not changed. Whatever was going on in verses 1 and 2 was still going on now. He still wasn't sure why God wasn't answering him. He still felt anxious in his soul. He still had grief in his heart all day long. His enemy was still rejoicing over him. He was still concerned that if God didn't intervene, he would die from what was going on. His circumstances did not change, but his perspective did. Thinking on God's faithfulness led him to rejoice in God's salvation. Despite everything going on, David was able to rejoice in God's salvation. And I think when it comes to trusting the character of God, we, like David, must look to our salvation. We are probably so familiar with the gospel message, what happened on the cross for our benefit. That if we're not careful, we can lose the awe of what happened there on that day. Especially in these times. 
But think about how faithful God has already been to us just in the gospel. I mean, when Adam and Eve first sinned, immediately God promised a day would come. The seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head and the serpent would bruise his heel. Bruises heel doesn't sound that bad. But we live now. We know what that referred to. It referred to Jesus' awful death on the cross. God's promise in Genesis 3 was fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. That's how faithful God is. He gives a promise and He brings it to pass, though it means the death of His only begotten Son. And if we can trust God to keep a promise that cost Him that much, can't we trust God to be faithful in every other area of life? I mean, if we can look at the cross and we can see the penalty for for our sins, and again, a personal, see the penalty for my sins, for your sins, has been paid. And know that it was God's plan and God's idea. It wasn't plan B. It was always plan A. That through that, God worked to reconcile us to Himself, to forgive our sins, to draw us to Himself in loving kindness. Give us His Holy Spirit as a down payment on all the good things to come. And can't we look at the same cross and say, My God is faithful. Regardless of what the current circumstances in our life are. And this doesn't even take into consideration the various ways we've seen Him be faithful to us in the past. The very personal things we've experienced, the prayers answered, the times protected, the things done for us. And we remember God's faithfulness and we trust the character and the faithfulness of God. And even though we don't understand and our circumstances may not change, we will be able to praise God, worship Him. Because if for nothing else, for what He has done for us in Christ Jesus. None of that minimizes the severity of our current circumstances. Doing that does not say they're not big, they're not hard, our pain is not real. It doesn't say I still, I suddenly understand things are going to get better, I'm going to praise and the storm's going to go away. It's not saying any of that. It's saying that if we can learn to focus God's faithfulness to us, His salvation, then we can say, I trust God. He has been faithful in the past and He will be faithful now. This is where a lament is supposed to lead. This is why a lament is different than just a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow without biblically lamenting, it does nothing to renew our trust in God. It does nothing to turn us to God. Biblical lamenting moves us through our passionate expression of grief, through our sorrow, through our pain, to once again 
trusting in God. Lamenting turns us to God when sorrow would turn us from God. In order for it to do this, we must trust the character of God. Let me read just a, a quote from an article I read on lamenting. The practice of lament is one of the most theologically informed actions a person can take. While crying is fundamental to humanity, Christians lament because they know God is sovereign and God is good. Christians know his promises in the scriptures. We believe in God's power to deliver. We know the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And yet we still experience pain and sorrow. Lament is a language for living between the poles of a hard life. And trusting in God's sovereignty. It's a prayer form for people who are waiting for the day. Jesus will return and make everything right. Christians don't just mourn. We long for God to end the pain. Lament prayers take faith. Talking to God instead of sinfully getting angry or embittered requires biblical conviction. Laying out the messy struggles of our soul and then asking again and again for God to help us requires a solid theological mooring. Christians not only mourn the brokenness of this world, but we long for the day when all weeping will cease. We wonder how long, O Lord, anyone can cry, but only Christians can faithfully lament until Jesus returns. The world will be marked by tears. Children will continue to be born. And their first cry will announce their arrival into a broken world. To cry is human. But to lament is Christian. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You are great and awesome and worthy. Help us in this, Lord. Father, let us take what we see in Psalm 13 and the other Psalms and take them at face value. We can do what David did and be led to the place David was led to. Lord, I don't know what's going on in anyone's heart tonight. But I know whether we're in a moment like this right now or not, we've been in them and we've struggled through them. And I know that, Lord, just life guarantees that another one is coming at some point. Let us take these lessons to heart. And when the time is there, when the need is there, let us be a people who lament and let our lamenting turn us to you when our sorrow would tempt us to turn from you. We ask you to do this, not for our sakes, but because of Jesus. He is the yes and the amen to all of your promises. So, Father, because of Jesus and his shed blood over our lives, do for us what you've promised to do. And as we lament, as we plead, give us a peace that would pass all understanding, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.